Please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 21, and we'll continue where we left off, right around verse 28. But before we do that, just a couple announcements. I think you heard about the week-long fast in May that we're going to do. We did a fast last year, a week-long fast. Um, Many of you know, if you've been in Calvary Chapels for any period of time, it's not only a fast individually we do, but it's, it's the idea of corporately that we come together on Friday and we break the fast together with a little light broth, soup, something like that. But the idea behind a fast, at least scripturally the idea behind a fast, is to consecrate yourself, to empty all the things of the flesh, all the things of the week. Now, I, again, I understand everyone has different abilities to do that. Some folks are on medicines and they cannot go without some food and and look, we want you to do what's right for you. God knows your heart. He knows what it's about. And the idea is if, if you don't eat a jelly donut that week, I assure you nobody here will die, right? Um, so whatever that fast looks like for you, we do it together. We come together. But I, uh, every church fast I've been a part of in Calvary Chapel over many, many years, God has always produced such fruit of it from in my life, just personally in our home, but also corporately in the church, it's a lot of times we've given just through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit a leading of something we're, we're coming up to. And as I know, hopefully, Lord willing, we'll be in the new building uh, the first week of May, last week of April. And they're actually installing some of the carpet tonight. They're over there right now doing some of the carpet. And, um, you know, it's just a special time. As the Lord's delivering us, he's bringing us out of this, this place. He's bringing us into this, this new building. <laughs> where he'll continue to disciple his church, and it's exciting times. So um, I, I caveat that with also asking for prayer and wisdom, you know, as we as we move and proceed forward. Also for prayer for so many in this flock right now. I look out on a Wednesday, even Wednesdays we usually have 70 or say, so. I can see there's, you know, um, sick. I know many are sick. I know Tammy's home preparing for a procedure tomorrow. I know Ruth Ann just got out of the hospital. Is Ray, is she home now? So she just got home from the hospital for her procedure. Praise the Lord, everything went well, but she's in quite a bit of pain. Um, uh, Dean is uh, making his way home. He had some breathing issues with this change. And then we've had probably about, I don't know, five different families that's struggling in one way or another with this. I don't know if it's a second wave of a virus or what's going around right now, but it's hit our home. My son was home the last two days with a 100.3 fever and, and then some things that... Uh, you know, I'm dealing with. So just, just please, let's lift each other up in prayer. Let's, let's intercede one to another, be others focused right now for the body of Christ here and maybe those loved ones, those that you know that too are struggling right now uh, health-wise. Father God, we come before you, Jesus. We just, um, we just ask you, Lord, that you would bring healing, Lord God, to your people. Uh, as I've just, as you just overheard, Lord, as you are present here, we know that God, you are a great physician. You're our great healer, Lord. And so right now, God, we ask that you would just touch the saints, Lord. Bring healing to them. Lord God, let them just feel that strength that comes from you alone, God. Not from the flesh, not from carnality, but, but from being pressed into a right relationship with you, Jesus. You desire good things for your children, Lord. And so we lift our brothers and sisters up right now that are struggling physically, mentally, Lord, and spiritually. And God, we would ask, we'd be remiss if we didn't, that you would guide us through your word here tonight, Lord, that you would speak, I'd get out of the way, Lord, and that this word and text would represent your heart. Even as we go through the Old Testament law, Lord, you are showing us a character and a heart. 
you're showing us here your desire and you told us that the law was a tutor until Jesus Christ came, Galatians, Lord. But as we understand and study this, Lord, God, let us examine our own hearts. Are we indifferent to how we treat others? Are we taking responsibility for our actions? Are we looking at these things, God, here and just saying, ah, what do we need to read these? Or Lord, are we taking every word captive in our minds, slowing it down and allowing your word to penetrate, allowing your word to replace the world's ideas and ideologies? That's our desire here, Lord, to meet with you at your feet. We pray this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. Amen. All right. So we've made it as far as verse 28 here. Verse 28. And it's interesting as we go into sort of what may be titled the animal control laws. And I know some of you are going, well, why are we reading this, Pastor? We're not under the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament anymore. Why are we we studying this? And And I have to tell you, if we don't pick Jesus up out of this text right here, we've missed it. I mean, you can't help but going through looking at responsibility for property, the animal controls, all the things God put together. It it really is a representation and character of his heart, doing right unto others, taking responsibility for that. And isn't that something that we see in the day we're living today? Just, I don't know, but but I just sense more and more of it in, in these last days where people are not looking to stand up and take responsibility. They don't want accountability. They, they actually want to run from responsibility, as a matter of fact. They, they would much rather just turn around and say, well, somebody else will pick that piece of paper up or somebody else will do something. You know, and I, I pray, my heart's prayers, that when we think as, as salt and light, you know everybody's, why, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you do realize people are always watching you, watching what you do, what you say, how you speak, what you laugh at, what you don't laugh at. And as we, we look at these, these laws, as we look at these characters of heart, may we understand them and may we turn around and apply them in our lives, not because we, we have to because it's a law, as Paul would say, a law unto itself, not, not as that we have to do that that way, but that we would desire God's very best and we would want to represent God's very best one to another. Is, it, is, is that good? Is that, are you with me on that? Amen, all right. Verse 28, if an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned. And if its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. So no one profits from this. That's what we read here, that if something like this happens, this isn't an opportunity to profit off the animal, selling the beef, selling the the meat like that. He says no one profits, right? It says that the owner, it shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. But... And now as we move in, we're going to look at more of the intent and neglect, our laws that we get in our court system today. And a lot of times we'll say, what was the intent and was there an intent on neglect? You'll hear that in your court system today. So this is where they get it from. This is where it originally came, although they've, you know, thousands of years later, they sort of veered from it. But this is where it began. It says, but if the ox, you know, tends to thrust with its horn in times past. In other words, pre, you know, we've seen a behavior of this before. And it has been made known to his owner, and he has not kept it confined, so that it has killed a man or woman. The ox shall be stoned, and its owner shall also be put to death. Now, that may seem pretty harsh, right? I mean, that may seem pretty harsh. But what is this talking about? A willful 
neglect. Remember we talked about intent and neglect? What this was showing was a willful neglect. It would be irresponsible, if I can say it that way, that if you had an animal that was already predisposed to, to blood or to harming another person, that you would at least put, you know, I don't know if it was a dog, you'd at least put what? A collar on the animal, wouldn't you? And a, and a leash to make sure that that wouldn't happen again. You'd, you'd take best steps or, or steps forward to try to do that, right? If there is imposed on him a sum of money, then he shall pay to redeem his life whatever is imposed on him. And, and the idea here we're going to see is, because again, if it's in the context of death, if he was to be put to death, the next surviving kin, the next relative, would have the opportunity to receive what was called the blood ransom or the redemption of blood. In other words, for the person that was harmed or killed in this particular case, the family member that was alive, their family would have to pay restitution because maybe the father was there and he would no longer be able to earn a wage to care for the family that way. It was to do, and as we go through all of God's law here, we'll see the idea was always to make whole. It was never to make wealthy. It wasn't what we see in our court system today where you're suing for 15, 20, 50 million. You know, no, no, no. It was to make whole. You know, that was the goal. Physically first, and then obviously if there was a need or a care for the home to make whole that way. Whether it, was go- whether it has gored a son or gored a daughter, according to this judgment, it shall be done to him. If the ox gores a male or a female servant, he shall give to their master 30 shekels. Now that should, we've seen that. Where do we see that in the New Testament? Judas, right? It was a slave wage or a servant wage, right? It was what was paid so that he would, Judas would what? Betray Jesus Christ. And then Judas obviously remorsed and guilt-ridden. What did he go back in and do? He tossed the money back in, right? Like that and wouldn't take it. But this is where that money came from. The rabbis, as they would hold on to that, a slave wage, a servant wage, this is where it came from. Verse 32 here. They'd give their masters the 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. And if a man opens a pit, or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls in it, the owner of the pit shall make it good. He shall give money to their owner, but the dead animals shall be his. So, what is this talking about? Is this premeditated, you know, oh, you know you're going to dig footers and you're, you didn't get a chance, you know, you're 36 inches deep, frost line, you didn't get a chance to backfill or put concrete or pour concrete in the footer? This is not what this is talking about. Back in early, you know, well, even the time of when this was written, thousands of years ago, pits like that were used for storage or used as traps to trap animals and or used for storage. Many, if many of us are over, I don't know, the age of 40 in here, we might remember cellars. Some of you might have remembered growing up in a house that had a cellar. And often, what would you put in the cellar? You would put food sometimes, vegetables, canned items, and they would go down there because they wouldn't be exposed to the sunlight, right? So your tomato sauce, we're Italian, right? So we had the tomato sauce all the way, I mean, an eight-foot shelf of tomato sauce. And you know what? When mom or grandma wasn't looking, you sneak down there and drink a little. I mean, that stuff was like, I don't know, Kool-Aid, man. But for an Italian anyway, you sneak down there, you grab a little of the sauce, you dunk a little of the bread. Why are my jars half full? You better talk to my brother, Johnny. I don't know what he did. No. <laughs> you, get the, you get the point, though. I mean, it's making whole that way. If one man ox hurts another so that he dies, then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money from it, and the dot ox shall also divide. Or if it was known that the ox tended the thrust in time past and its owner has not kept it confined, he shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead animals shall be his own. Again, we see this idea of making whole, making right, one ox for another. That's what God's showing us here. 
Now, chapter 22, if a man steals, now, we already covered that in the Decalogue, right? When we were reading chapter 20 and we went through the Ten Commandments and we specifically said in verse 15, you shall not steal. God told us that. He gave us that commandment already. But now we're going to be bringing it towards property. Just, again, why is this important? Because if we remember what Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, suggested, right? He was a Midianite priest, and he was being led by the Lord, the same God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He was being led, and what was he being led to do? He says, look, Moses, you're going to wear out the people, or you're going to wear yourself out trying to deal with all the matters of everything going on. He had one of the largest churches then. Think about it, 2.5 million people. Or at least two million people. That's how many people, you know, we, we believe existed at that time. The Hebrews, right? Hebrew people, two million. You had one of the largest churches. And you had a lot of confrontation, a lot of, you know, discontentment. This happened, that happened. He says, Moses, if you do that, you're going to wear yourself out. So he appointed all these judges. As a matter of fact, some of these judges are going to end up going up a certain area of the mountain. And, and we're going to read about that as we continue on. And they're going to go up to the mountain and they're going to meet the presence of the Lord like that, and they're going to kind of want to come back and come back down, and then we know what? We know Aaron is going to come down, right? He's going to be down there, and he's going to, well, we know the golden calf in chapter 32, where it's going to end up. But the idea here is, look, this is for the judges so that when they arbitrate, they can arbitrate after a heart after God. Does that make sense? Are you guys tracking with me? It's to arbitrate. Why is he showing this? Why is it important today? Do you think any of this has really changed? While it may not be God's command necessarily for us under the law, has the idea of stealing changed? Is it ever okay to steal? Certainly not. And so a lot of times when I hear people say, well, you know, the Old Testament, you know, we don't have anything to do with that anymore. Well, let's wait a minute now. Are we talking about being under the law? as in fulfilling it salvinically or salvation? Yes, you're right. We're not under the law. We're under grace. However, are these things still applicable today? Are there still good things that we look at God's heart? As, as the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3, the law was what? A tutor? It was a tutor for us till the coming of Christ so that we would be able to fall under Christ and his character under that? But these things haven't gone away. Stealing is wrong. So it says, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So God gives the exact calculation of what it is for these judges. When this happens, what's the repayment look like? How do you make them whole? If the thief is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. What is this saying? Very important when people, I've had a, a gentleman in the fellowship actually wrote a paper on this on self-defense and he sent it to some of the Calvary Chapel pastors and he said, what do you think about this? Is a Christian allowed to defend themselves? And I said, absolutely. And they said, scripturally, where do you find that? And I took them right to chapter 22 here, right to verse 2. And I said, this is where it says. But it also says that you're to use the equitable amount of force. And we'll talk about what that means here in a second as we read on. But this is the passage that says that if somebody tries to harm you or if there's some situation going on like that, you have every right to defend your home or to defend those in the home that way, right? That's what he tells us. So he says, if there is... If the thief is found breaking and he struck so that he dies, there is to be no guilt for his bloodshed. Now he's going to get specific. If the sun has risen on him, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed. What is that saying? What's happening here? He's saying that, look, if you, during the day, 
Sun is out. You can see them. At night, you may not be able to see someone, right? You with me? And so, you know, you can't tell. Is that person armed? Are they pointing a gun at me? Is my life being threatened at that moment? You know, you're going to take all the steps you can according to the law, but you're also going to protect your family, aren't you? But during the day, you're able to easily, clearly look upon someone, and you can see that, look, this person doesn't have a weapon on them. Are you to shoot that person dead? Now, some of you are probably going to go, yes, they're in my house, they're stealing. But according to law, what did God say? The appropriate amount of force. If it's lethal force, then you must be threatened that way. They're going to harm you. But if they don't have a gun, what are you to do? Right? You're to obviously take means to uh, subdue them from doing any harm unto you or your family or to your possessions. Because remember, this is also in context to property. This is in context of property too, not just human beings. Okay? But he says, look, if the sun is risen on, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed. In other words, you will be guilty and there is a responsibility to that, right? He should make full restitution. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the theft is certainly found alive in his hand, right? So if he's caught with it and he's actually stolen something and he's got it, whether it's an ox or a donkey or sheep, he will restore double. That's God's desire and plan. Twofold. If a man causes, causes a field or a vineyard to be grazed and lets loose his animal and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution. Notice that with me. What is the plan again? The plan is to, again, make whole. This isn't so that someone profits. This isn't to take advantage of somebody. We're living in such a litigious society today where everybody's suing everybody. This is to make someone whole. That's what we see here. Exodus chapter 22, verse 5, very specific about that. If fire breaks out, right? Or let me finish even uh, verse 5 there. From the best of his own field, he shall what? The given the best of his own vineyard. Okay, verse 6. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns... That so that the stacked grain, standing grain, or the field is consumed, he who has kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. What is this talking about? Vandalism, neglect. That's what we're talking about here. Again, responsibility. If somebody's doing something and they're starting a fire next to a hay bale like that, probably not a smart thing to do, right? There should be restitution for that. However, in other words, were they responsible for it? Again, today in the society we're living Many people will say, absolutely not. It was an accident. Yes, it was an accident, but there's still restitution, right? There's still consequences to that. And, and we never see that in, in the Bible anywhere where the consequences to even sin that way are eradicated completely by God. He forgives us. He sets us free. We're no longer in sin. We've been forgiven and set free. Praise Jesus and thank you for the grace of God. But guess what? If you were, you know... Um, if you were sexually promiscuous and you contract a disease and you come back and say to God, God, I'm, please forgive me you know, for my sin and what I've done, you're forgiven. That's it. It's that simple. There's nothing else there. You're right in right relationship with the Lord. However, if you have a sexually transmitted disease, that's not God's fault that way. People come back and say, well, I got right with God. Why do I still have this? There's a consequence to sin. You're with me? You're tracking with me? That's what we see here. Consequence to sin. If a man delivers to his neighbor money or articles to keep, verse 7, and is stolen out of the man's house, if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought to the judges and so see whether he has put his hand to his neighbor's goods. 
for any kind of trespass, whether it is concerns an ox, a donkey, or sheep, or clothing for any kind of lost thing, which in other claims, he's going through all the property in that aspect, whether it's a person, whether it's an animal or a property that way, to be his house, the cause of both parties shall come before the judge, and whomever the judge shall condemn shall pay double to his neighbor. And isn't that what we see in the court of law today? Or we should see, should I say it that way, that there's clear and accurate arbitration, that the judge should decide uh, as Solomon, you know, a wise man would come back, and, and you probably know the Proverbs, you know, where a woman came in, this is my child, that's your child. Okay, well, you know, then just, you know, kill the child like that. The one woman said, no, take the child. You know, I don't want any harm to come. Well, then clearly that's the mother of the child. The wisdom in this, what God is giving them is the ability to make these judgments. He's, he's helping them. And, and you know what's sort of sad is that God has to be so specific because the wickedness and carnality of man's heart. Do you see that with me? You know? But praise God that he did that. Praise God that he gave us this because it's an example of his heart and what he desires. If a man delivers to his neighbor a donkey, an ox, or a sheep, or any animal to keep, and it dies, is hurt or driven away, no one seeing it, right? So some suspicious activity here, right? Then an oath of the Lord shall be between them both, that he has not put his hand into his neighbor's goods, and the owner of it shall accept that, and he shall not make it good. But if, but if in fact it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to the owner. So what we see here in verse 11 is that if somebody comes and testifies and they say, look, I didn't steal that, the owner is obligated to accept that testimony. You're to, God's desire is that we would trust our neighbor. That's God's desire, that we'd be others focused and that we would trust our neighbor. And if we went before the magistrate or the judge like that and he ruled a certain way, well, then it's based on his testimony. And we have to trust. And if he did lie or there's something wrong, who's that between? Between him and God. God says, vengeance is what? Is ours? Is that what he says? No, vengeance is his. Vengeance is mine, the Lord says, right? That's hard to do, isn't it? That's hard to do. If we're being real, that's hard to do. He says, you've got to make a restitution to the owner. Verse 13, if it is torn to pieces by a beast, then he shall bring it as evidence, and he shall not, and he shall not make good what was torn. And if a man borrows anything from his neighbor and it becomes injured or dies, the owner of it not being with it, he shall surely make good. Makes you think about when people say, hey, can you come watch my dog? Come watch my cat, right? You know, he, he, God would say there's responsibility in doing that, right? We're not just to take it aimlessly like I don't really like cats. So, you know, let, no, he says, look, if you said you're going to do this, do all things heartily, Colossians, right? Do all things heartily unto the Lord. If it's the owner's and, and he was with it, he shall not make it good. And it was hired and it came for its hire. Now we're going to move into more of the, the moral or ceremonial uh, parts of the law, right? And again, as we continue to go through this, we learn more and more about God's heart. He says, if a man entices a virgin, right, who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall surely pray the bride price for her to be his wife. What is this talking about here? Right? A dowry. And if a man has what? Premarital relations, premarital sex here, right? If a man is with a virgin and he is betrothed, so again, their idea of betrothal is, is different than our idea of engagement. That was sort of, if you were betrothed, you actually had to get a certificate of divorce to break off that betrothal, okay, that way. Because it actually in, in, indica 
I guess you might say it had a civil uh, binding effect to it, according to the law, if you were just betrothed to someone. And why is God doing this? What, we talked about this before. God's desire is to protect those that may not be able to protect themselves. And so he's looking at their, after the daughter. After all, I mean, when we think of women and girls and young women, if you're a born-again believer in Christ, are they not the daughter of the God Most High? Are they not extremely precious in his eyes? And often I talk to young men and I, I ask young men when they, you know, when they think about these things, I say, that's, that's someone's daughter. You know, well, she made me do it. The days we're living in, it's, it's a little different than it was when I was growing up. You know, when I was growing up, you know, the, the man would always, end, you know, we're going to, can we go to dinner, you know, this, that, and the other. Now, uh, the women are very aggressive sometimes. You know, they can be very aggressive that way. And it's, it's different, but, but the idea here was that, look, if, if you lie with her, there's a dowry there. Why? Because you've taken advantage of this girl, and she's no longer a virgin, and therefore what? If she was going to be remarried, or she's not remarried, going to be married to someone else, that's a problem. There's a dowry that's owed there. Who's going to pay the dowry? Do you see where this could be a problem? Because the guy that's going to marry is going, I'm not going to pay the dowry. He, he's already been with her. He's, he's already consummated the relationship even though it wasn't the marriage. So God is showing that, first of all, it's not his desire, but he's also looking at the daughter. Even though whether she was a willing participant or not, we see God's heart and design here, don't we? To care for and protect those that are not able to care for themselves. If her, fatherly utter, if her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the bride price of virgins. Again, that's a, a dowry, right? You shall not permit a sorcerers to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. So in 1819, he kind of jumps from there to sorcerers, occult. He says, anything that has to do with the occult, he says, stay away from it. If someone's practice, practicing witchcraft, I've, I've often heard people say, well, you know, I, I do uh, Wicca or, or witchcraft that's good witchcraft. There is no such thing. God says in his word, any type of sorcery, you know, it's like pharmacia, drugs, the same idea. It's, it's not of the Lord. He's very clear to say that. You know, whatever it is, whatever you're practicing or you think, you know, somehow God, no, it's not of the Lord. I mean, even when, you know, the prophet, right, we think of Saul from the Old Testament, right? King Saul, when he turned around and he went, the prophet, right, Samuel, and he went to raise the prophet Samuel. Do you remember that? And he was using so much so that the medium was even surprised that when the, you know, Samuel had sort of appeared like that in front of him. And what happened? Did Samuel go, hey, you know, Saul, I'm really glad, glad you reached out and thanks for reaching me. And yeah, let me talk to you. Let me see how I can help you. Right? What did Samuel do? He rebuked him sternly. Sternly rebuked him. God wants us to have nothing to do with the occult, nothing to do with Ouija boards, nothing to do with any type of tarot cards, any, you know, horoscopes anything like that because it's not of the Lord it's demonic it's demonic and in in these schools today the public schools and even private schools uh, sadly many times they have these clubs and after school they get together and they play some of these games and I don't know about you it breaks my heart because they can't read a bible in a school but they can pull out a Ouija board and enter into that type of demonic stuff. And then when the child comes home and the child starts having behavior problems afterwards and things get a little out of hand, then the parents go, what, what happened? They're not even aware of what's going on in the school that way. Now granted, each child gets to make that decision. 
and there are some you know, Christian children that are you know, they're locked, they know exactly what God's word says, and they'll keep themselves away from that. But there are some that, you know, may not know that, and they may be enticed by that, and they might come in and sit down, and they're dabbling with something they don't even understand. They don't have to understand that. There's nowhere in Scripture where it says they have to have a, an understanding of what they're doing. A sorcerer should die. Witchcraft, demonic activity, have nothing to do with it. We good? That's what God says in his word. And he says, whoever lies with the animal shall surely be put to death. You think of bestiality, that's what it's talking here. And why would he be bringing this up? Where would that have been practiced? Not too far from them. The Canaanites, well known for their practices of bestiality at that time. Now, we're living in days with sexual immorality today, like really even going back before the time of Rome. And you go back and study and see it. It's, it's amazing. Again, we've talked about it, homosexual. I was just reading recently on uh, homosexuality and different things like that. Uh, we talked about the suicide rates are vastly, like three times, three X higher for those practicing in sexual immorality that way. But do you know the rate of, of, of STDs and different things like that? For, for a, a heterosexual relationship, it's at 22% today. That's the latest statistic, 22%. Do you know what it is for a homosexual couple? 81%. 81%. God has been clear. Avoid sexual immorality. He's saying have nothing to do with it. Now, now, is God being harsh, man? Is he laying down a heavy trip on us? Or is he trying to protect us? Right? Because he's looking at the population. He's saying, look, don't do this. This is not the design. And, and you know, some people have said, well, HIV, AIDS, you know, did that come from animal and, and human interaction and relation? I don't know. I don't know that if anyone specifically knows. But at the end of the day, have nothing to do sexually immoral with an animal. Why would we today? But yet, I'm, look, we're already seeing psychologists and psychiatrists now saying that when children or older men have a desire to have relations with children, that that's okay because they're letting their inner boy out. That's what psychologists are talking about today. Go look it up, Psychology Today. Go read it. it this is not, uh, and I don't mean to shock anybody here, but this is where we're living. We are in the last days. We are in the last of the last days. Now, on top of that, it's coming. You wait. They're going to turn around, and now the whole thing will be, because they got to up the ante. It's never good enough. It's going to sin begets sin. It's the leaven of the lump, right? It's going to continue to leaven and burst that way. It'll be bestiality next. You, you, you'll see these things happening. It's an abomination to the Lord. He's trying to protect us to be holy, to be set apart, to have nothing to do with that, for our young people to have nothing to do with that. If you see people doing that, run the opposite way. Now, I will say one thing about sexual morality because we're on that topic if you see someone practicing sexual morality, I don't mean literally, I mean you know of it, right? Should you just walk away from that person if, if they're a friend? Or should you invest in their lives, not condoning the sin, but invest in their lives and really love them and love them all the way to Jesus? Because that's what we need. That's what our, our Messiah did. That's what Yeshua, that's what Jesus did when he came and worked, walked on the earth. He was physically manifested. He didn't avoid sinners. He went to sinners, not to, not to turn around and say, hey, let's have a great time, man. Get out the booze. No. People say that, well, Jesus drank. Yeah, it's different. It was different. But people will turn around and they'll go through this and they'll try to cite how, how this was. Je I said, no. What was Jesus doing there? 
his heart was to redeem them, to bring them unto himself, to free them from the bondage of drugs, of, of alcohol, of whatever they were messing with. The woman caught in adultery. If there was anybody that could have laid down the law correctly at that point with a fair heart, was it not Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? And what did he do? He never condoned the sin, but he looked at the woman and he said, go sin no more. He had compassion. And, and that's the thing that I, I just want us to be careful. I say us Christians, Christianity. We need to be careful. These are people. They have hearts. They're misguided. Saul of Tarsus was misdirected when he was killing Christians. And look what Jesus Christ did when he got hold of Saul of Tarsus' heart. Paul's Roman name. He set the Christian world on fire. Who knows who the next person is going to be a Paul or a Paula? Who knows what God's going to do? How dare we judge and think that we shouldn't be invested in someone's life like that? Now again, we don't condone the sin. But we need to love on them. Amen? He who sacrifices to any god, lowercase idolatry here, except to the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. That's pretty, that's pretty clear, isn't it? It's not too hard to, to mix that up. So whatever you're sacrificing to, it should only be Elohim or Jehovah. It should only be God, our Lord, Yahweh, nothing else. Our God desires all of our hearts. All of our hearts. Do you want to share your heart with anybody that way? If you're married, do you want your husband, your wife, to share their heart that way? If you have a child, do you not want your child to grow up with the ammunition to love you as their parent that way? Undivided, right? Stable, not unstable as water or a reed blowing in the wind. Why would he want him destroyed? Why are the Hebrews being God's chosen people? Why are they being said? Have you ever thought about that? Was there anything special about the Hebrews? The Bible tells us contrary. There wasn't. There was not a single thing that was special about them as a people group other than God chose them and they're God's chosen people. Today, they're God's chosen people. doesn't matter how many years have passed, they will always be God's chosen people. That doesn't change. God's promises, his love is irrevocable. It's irrevocable. It's beyond contestation. But why would he want them to be destroyed? Because he saw and he knew what sin did. Remember, this is already past Cain and Abel. He's already begun to saw, see the, the damage that sin does. And he's saying, have nothing to do with it have nothing to do with it. Because if you think you're going to win them back that way and you're going to intermarry them being unevenly yoked or you're going to do these things, he says, man, have nothing to do with it. You're to be wholly set apart. As a matter of fact, you're to be witnesses to the nations. And isn't that what the Gentiles ended up becoming witnesses? And who are we witnessing to now? The Jews, the Hebrews, God's chosen people. It was his design. Hmm. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. 
Think about that. Compassion on a stranger. Compassion on someone that's different. That can be a foreigner too. That's why I've got no patience for race-related issues. I've got no patience for people that try to come in and, and propagate one race over another, one gender over another. It's division. That's of the devil. That's not of the Lord. We all got off that boat and ark together, right? Who was there? Ham, Shem, right? Japheth. Three wives. Nobody else got off the boat, man. That's what the Bible teaches. You either believe all of it or you don't believe any of it. You don't get to pick and choose what you want to believe. That's what the Bible testifies to. And if you ever go to the Creation Museum, Answers in Genesis, you know, if you know their magazine, or you go to the Creation Museum in Kentucky, oh, it's amazing. I remember taking the boys there years ago, and we went, and they have this big sort of map, and they show where the different people groups, you know, of Ham, Japheth, and um, Shem, where they would have got off. Shem obviously being representative of Israel, right, and some of the Arabic people today, and Japheth, I think it's, if I'm not mistaken, it's either Europe, I can't remember all, but it was amazing to see and how, you know, when you live in a different climate, your, your skin pigment changes a little bit so that you can endure that climate a little better. And I thought, Lord, there it is, unity, not division. If we could just hold that, if we could just get a hold of that, that's what God wants to do. He wants to unite people groups. He wants to, he, he said, Genesis chapter 126, 127, I created the male and female in the image of God. What? There's no one better. A male's not better than a female and a female's not better than a male. Are you with me? He says, you shouldn't mistreat a stranger or a foreigner or oppress him. He says, remember, you were foreigners. You were in bondage. You were in slavery. You remember how that was. For some, what, 170 plus years. We know it was a 400 year clip, but 170 years. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. Compassion on the vulnerable. If you afflict them in any way and they cry at all to me, God hears the alms of his people. He hears the cries of his people. He says, if you afflict them, and I hear it. I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will become hot. And I will kill you with the sword. Boy, if that does not catch your attention, I don't know what does. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. You know, there was a time when people hung off of every word from the mouth of God. We pray and ask for revival, don't we? We need to get back to the word of God. We need to have this kind of reverence from our Lord that when our God says something, we obey and listen. We obey and listen. He's talking about protecting those again that can't help themselves that way. And if you do that, there again, there's a consequence. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a moneylender to him. You shall not charge him interest. Now, what's he saying? My people, Israel. He's saying, look, one to another. You shouldn't charge anybody interest that way. If you're going to lend money to someone like that, the Hebrews, Israel, this was a, a specific command for them, right? That you shouldn't, the Hebrew people shouldn't charge themselves interest. Now, if a foreigner or a stranger are in the land, okay, you can charge them interest. But to the Hebrews themselves, you are not to charge interest. If you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, they would do that. That's, think of that as collateral. 
you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For this is his only covering. It is his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? And will it, and it will be that when he cries to me, I will hear him. For I am gracious. Isn't that beautiful? Our God is gracious. He desires that protection and that caring one to another. You know, I often think about that as we, we pass folks in need of food and clothing, maybe even a cup of water, you know, a glass of water. What's our response there, right? What do we, I think about it as I'm parched right now. I'm like, I'm going to take it. What's our response in our heart? What are we thinking? Are we, oh boy, I don't want to make eye contact because if I make eye contact, then I got to talk to them. Or is it, you know what? Where are they going to sleep tonight? How are they going to stay warm? What's going to happen to them? That's God's heart. We're to be, what? Growing in the likeness of, of God, aren't we? Of Jesus Christ. Just let that marinate for a second. What's that mean for us? You think that ever changes? You think God ever comes back and says, yeah, no, it's okay. No. We were always supposed to be others focused. It's hard to do that when we're so distracted today, aren't we? Caught up in glued to our phones or whatever iPad you have in front of you, whatever you're looking at. I get it if you're using it as an electronic Bible, praise the Lord. But I mean, when we get so that we don't even look up in people's eyes anymore. Hmm. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. Now, this is interesting. I always love this. We're going to be in Acts chapter 23 pretty soon. If you've been following along with us in Acts, in the book of Acts on Sunday, Who quoted this very passage? Think about it, Acts chapter 23. Paul. Do you remember when Paul goes before Ananias? But he didn't know he was Ananias. He didn't know he was the high priest. He must not have been able to see. Remember, he had some problems with his eyes. And he turned around and he struck him. And he said, how dare you? You remember he goes off? And he says, how dare you? And this guy says, don't you know you're not to you know, speak to the high priest that way. And he says, oh, I didn't know that was the high priest. Right? He says, you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. And he quotes that and says, I didn't know. The humility that while he was even being wronged and he didn't do anything to deserve that smack, but even humility, he took it and he wouldn't raise his voice. That's meekness, strength under control. Strength under control. That's what meekness looks like. Hmm. Moses, one of the meekest people that ever walked the earth, Moses was. I imagine as he read this and heard this and wrote this down as it was inspired, he began to think about how that would change his life, how it should change our lives. You shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe produce and your juices. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. Notice to me that's no delay. That's not like, all right, let me take care of everything else and then give you the first fruits. No. <laughs> Giving you the first fruits means all that's the Lord's. It's all his anyway, hasn't he? We sang it tonight, Jehovah Jireh, right? What's that mean? God our provider. Isn't he the one that provides? I mean, in your home. I know we all go to work and the Lord provides that way, but, but what's he saying? He's saying give our very best. He's not just talking about money. He's talking about our hearts, our minds, our efforts. 
Is God an afterthought? How much time do you have in a typical day? We all have the same amount of time. 24 hours. How much time do we spend with the Lord? How much time do we spend at his feet? How much time do we wait on the Lord? Some of the Lord's been pressing into me. He's been giving me passages in the Psalms, Psalms 40 and other Psalms where he's, wait on me, wait on me, yes, Lord. And it's, it's, it's been quite honestly challenging me because you start waiting five days and you're going, what's going on? It's been five days. Meanwhile, we'll read in a little while, Moses goes up to the mountain, right? He'll be gone 40 days and while he's up there, he's ministering, meeting. And what's Aaron doing? Building the golden calf, already turning around. And it wasn't, didn't, didn't the people come, remember? They were the ones that said, no, no, no we don't want to go any closer. Moses, you talk to God and, and then tell us and we'll do whatever God commands. Remember, that was God's promise. Or excuse me, their promise to God, pardon me. But are we strangers to waiting on the Lord? We live in such a fast-paced technology, want it now. Look at our young people. Ask them, what do you think about working your way up? You know, I remember my father, that was his, his whole thing. I, 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 I can't say I liked it when I was young. But I understood, my, my dad always said, look, son, if you have to shovel, I don't care if it's feces, whatever you have to do, you start at the beginning. You learn it. And it was the same way in the ministry. You know, when, when my pastor, you know, recognized that a calling on my life, he didn't turn around and say, go out, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna preach and teach the word. I said, Pastor, I think the Lord's put a calling on my life. He says, good, the bathroom down there needs some good cleaning. Oh, okay. I got extra toothbrushes. All right, okay. That's Calvary Chapel. You know, we don't have, a mentality. We're, we're, we're a blue-collar movement. We don't have this mentality where everything's kind of handed to us. We, we're ministry mutts. If you've come from a Calvary Chapel, you're a ministry mutt. You, you've been on the soundboard. You've been in the radio. You've been in the audio video. You've been in every ministry, a greeter, an usher, a worship. You've been in all the ministries. And you learn what it is to surrender and serve the Lord without expectation, without looking for some ladder or the next rung of some ladder that you're to climb. As though somehow that's meaningful. That's not what it's about. It's about learning to be more like Jesus so that you can enter into a real relationship. Now look, I'm not going to stand here and pretend, hey, you know what, I've arrived. I've said before, I have not arrived. There's nobody in here that's arrived. We need to be real. But that's the aim, isn't it? That's the aim. That's where our unity comes from because we're all working it out with fear and trembling. We're working it out with fear and trembling. Faith to faith, step to step. But he says, you give them your first fruits. And yes, it does mean money as well. Wait a minute, pastor. Now you're going to talk about money. When do I ever talk about money here? I never talk about money unless the scripture talks about it. We got one agape box in the back. We don't pass a plate. Not that I'm condemning anybody who does that. Where God guides, God provides. That's what the Bible says. And if we live our lives that way, and we honor God, and we give our first fruits, and we're in the will of God doing it. Praise be to his name. We don't do it because we expect to be acknowledged or we're going to get a reward for it like that. No, our reward's heavenly, you know? Sometimes, you know, people will go above and beyond, 
you know, they'll, they'll really be moved by the, the Lord like that and they'll step out and do something that just, you know, as a pastor, I just, I, you know, I, I don't know who gives what. I don't ever want to know. But once in a while you get word of something that was done like that because somebody comes to you and says, look, the Lord put this on my heart. I want to encourage you. Not because they're, they're, it's any way drawing attention to themselves. It's always a, hey, but do me a favor. Don't say anything to anybody. Do you know how sweet that is when I hear that? Hey, I, I gave him my time. I gave him my, 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 my finance. I did this, but, but don't tell anybody. They, they're, they're a student of their Bible. They know exactly, I, I understand exactly what they're saying. They're saying, brother, don't take my reward away. Don't take my reward away is what they're saying. Because God says you're either going to get a, what, a reward here. If you left your left hand, know what your right hand's doing, or your right hand, know what your left hand's doing, and you draw attention to yourselves as the money folks, remember the, those in the, the, the giving, as Jesus would say, and you have the widow with her two mites. So faithful. We're a fellowship of widow mites. It's beautiful. That's what he's talking about with our first fruits. We need to examine our lives. I challenge us all, me especially, me doubly. I need to examine my life. Am I giving all I can to the Lord? As your pastor, I want to look at you and all that I am to say to you that, that that's God's desire for you. And I'm not just talking about the finances. Actually, I'm talking more about your heart, your mind. Are you giving everything unto the Lord? Holding nothing back. Because I assure you, and I, I promise you, as the word of God testifies, when you're standing before Jesus Christ, you're not going to care how many cars you had. You're not going to care how many buildings you had. You're not going to care how much food you had. You're going to be sitting there and praising God, and you're going to be worshiping him at his feet and saying, Lord, I didn't do a single thing with the right motive, Lord. Or maybe that's just my prayer or what I'm going to be saying. Lord, not a single thing. Oh, I know. I know. But I love you. I showed you what love was because I loved you before you could even love back, before you even knew what love was. That's our God. But he desires us to be fully surrendered. How many churches are you walking into these days and them laying it down hot like that? Not many. Wasn't like that when Spurgeon was here. When he walked the earth, it wasn't like that. You can go back through a lot of the, the guys, the men, you know, the men. Look at Billy Graham, just went to be with the Lord. Every day he woke up blessed that he had an opportunity to serve. Wherever he was, whatever he was doing, he gave his very best. And I assure you, when he got to heaven, oh, can you imagine that reunion? Or union, should I say, to begin with? First, re would apply that he's been there before. You know what I mean, when he's embracing like that. I want to point you to that because the world is going to try to steal that from you. The world's going to try to convince you that everything else is more important. The world is going to try to stretch you and tell you that you need to juggle. That's not God's design. That's where anxiety comes from. We have more anxiety and depression today than we know what to do with. We're medicating everyone. I've had anxiety. I've had depression. I've had it where you're struggling. And the only thing that I can do is turn to Jesus Christ. And when I do that, it's like that weight gets lifted off because you know what happens when I do that? He looks at me. Over and over again, I can hear that still small voice. Did I ask you to carry that? No, Lord, but I, I, I thought, that's it right there. There it is, son. There it is. You said it. I thought. Yeah, well, Lord, but I, no. Hold on to that, son. 
He says, you thought. He says, I told you not to lean on your own understanding. He says, but in all your ways, you're to acknowledge me. And he says, and if you do that, I'm going to direct your paths. Right? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. We know our Bible. That's what he tells us. And I'll struggle with it tomorrow. And I'll struggle with it tomorrow. God never asks to juggle. Hmm. Likewise, you shall do with your oxen and your sheep. It shall be with its mother seven days, and on the eighth day you shall give it to me. And you shall be holy men to me. You shall not eat meat torn by beasts in the field. You shall, not, you shall throw it to the dogs. In other words, you should be set apart. You're not animals. Don't act like animals. And don't we see that today? Humanity acting a lot like animals anymore. You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. You know, I, I, I love this. You know what? This passage has spoken more to me in the last four years, three years being down here. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. What is that talking about? You're going to stand alone. Often you're going to stand alone at your workplace. Somebody's going to ask you to do something that, according to the law of the United States of America, will be allowed, but according to God's heart and character, won't. And you're going to have to make a choice. And God says, don't follow the crowd. You know, I used to think, boy, is there something wrong with me? Why do I stand alone? I, I know I got brothers and sisters in Christ, but sometimes I feel alone. You know, I got stinky breath. What's going on here, right? But God told me there'd be times. He's telling you there's going to be times in your home. Husbands, be the pastor of your home. There's times where you're going to have to talk with your wife, and it's not an easy conversation. Be the pastor of your home. Wives, there's times where you're going to have to duck. You're going to have to say, Lord be unto you. And step out of the way. He's going to get a good thump. And you've got to let him. That's real love. That's perfect love. It's not that you wish it upon him. But you know that as, if my wife was here tonight, she'd, she'd be like, yep, he needs it. He doesn't sleep good after a week or two without it. So she would joke, you know. I mean, but it's, it's true. We all need correction, don't we? We get misaligned. And it's the fine-tuning that God loves to do. And he does it so gently. It's not like this big sword ripping like a thiashian jag, you know, dagger ripping through the heart that way. That's not even the word we see when he talks about separating the bone from the marrow when he goes in. Jesus Christ talks about that, dividing truth. He's talking about something that's a surgical instrument that's precise. He doesn't cut out what's not, you know, only what he wants to remove. He doesn't, he doesn't cut out the good stuff to remove the bad. He leaves everything else intact. And he's able to precisely go in and show us the darkness and the depths of our hearts. Have you ever noticed how God is good at that? When we earnestly ask him in prayer, show me my heart. All right, no, no, really, Lord, show me the depths of my heart. Whoa. Again, maybe it's just my heart. But he shows me it. It's not a good day. It's not a good moment. But I'm never closer to God. I'm never closer to my dad than is when he's loving on me and he's shown me, and it's real, and I have an opportunity to get right with him, and I'm saying, Lord, man, what am I doing? 
What am I doing? Stand alone. You know, in the end times that we're living, before the rapture comes, there's, I believe many of us are going to have to stand alone. Because people are going to be, what's it say? It says actually that he was even talking about believers. Says many of them will be what? Drawn away to this false teaching. Drawn away to this, right? You know, if we had a rock concert going on here. I mean, don't get me wrong. On Sundays, you guys are here. It's packed out. We don't have room. That's why we're going to a bigger building. Praise the Lord. People are coming out for the truth. But if I put a rock concert on here, and I started tickling all your ears with honeydew, oh, man, we'd triple, triple this place. And we'd be led right to the pit of hell. Led right to the pit of hell. We gotta be able to stand alone. We gotta be able to test the spirit of God. Make sure it's in the word of God. Make sure we're living our lives according to the grid of scripture. Nor shall you testify in a dispute as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. He's reiterating it. No compromise. No compromise needed. No compromise wanted. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. Now this is interesting. Isn't this interesting here? We're not to be a respecter of persons. The book of James tells us that. Right? He uses it in the context to the poor. That when we see someone wealthy come in, we're not to see them wealthy by their jewelry, by their apparel, and say, oh, you have the finest seat. You sit up here, you sit up there. I don't know why. In the front of a church, usually that's the empty seat. But back then, obviously, the front was the best. People would come up and say, you sit here in the front like that. He says, no. You're not to show partiality to a man, a poor man in his dispute. He says, look, you're to be, you're to be righteous, right living in all your dealings, regardless of the person's uh, you know, economic situation. What's right is right, poor or rich. What's right is right. There should be nothing that should move us from that. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it to him, to him again. Why would that be? Even we'll know, we'll learn under the, the law that what? That if you saw your animal, you were able to go help your animal and pull your animal out. What did Jesus convict uh, the rabbis or the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees at that time? You'll help and get your animal out, but if a man needs help on the Sabbath, you'll what? You'll walk behind him or walk away from him? What's he talking about there? The heart. He says, if somebody didn't need a help, why would you, whether it's an animal or not, why would you walk by them? Have we become so busy? And I know today there's a lot of threats out there. I get it. You know, maybe picking up somebody and giving them a ride, a hitchhiker. You know, I remember I was young. I used to hitchhike all the time. But I did, today, you know, I get it. If you're a single woman, you need to have your guard up. You need to have your guard up. You need to be careful. But, you know, God's saying within within, you know, obviously, safely, if there's something you can do, please do it. You know? He's not telling you put yourself near your enemy's ox to the point of where you get speared by the ox and you lose your life to get the ox out. That's not what he's saying, is he? If you see a donkey or one who hates you lying under his burden and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it, right? You shall not pervert the judgment 
of your poor in his dispute. He also says, now, hey, be careful. Don't take justice from the poor either. He's saying, don't show favor to the poor, but don't also take justice from the poor. Keep yourself far from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. The means never justify the ends. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. That's a good word, isn't it? And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. Sometimes people aren't taking a bribe of money, but they'll take a bribe of favoritism. Or maybe somebody showing them some type of favor that way. God's talking about all of it. You're not to show favor to somebody like that to gain something. Remember when we were kids? Some of us may be 70 years back. Some of us may be 20 years back, right? Maybe even younger in here. And you had that friend that had uh, Pong. Remember Pong? Right? Or something like that. Or, you, boy, what you doing today, Jimmy? Oh, you're my best buddy, Jimmy. Let's get together. Right? Or am I... You know, I'm food-driven, right? I'm Italian, some food. So for me, in my house, everything was homemade. So my mother would make homemade macaroni and cheese. Loved it, right? It's great. That Kraft macaroni and cheese, though, that's awesome. For somebody who grew up in a house where you had to have homemade macaroni and cheese all the time, that Kraft macaroni and cheese was like gold. It was like liquid gold, baby. I'd, I'd look at it. Anyway, I had a friend on the street. His mother made it by, the, like, I don't know, the ton. She'd have it says, you know, and I, 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 would, I would know it's Thursday night. And Thursday night is craft dinner night. Jimmy, I need to come over. We need to be together, Jimmy. We need to hang out. Little did Jimmy know, you know, okay, sure, you're, you're captain of the hockey team. Well, oh, yeah, okay, Jimmy. But it'll be about 6. We'll get there about 6 o'clock, Jimmy. We'll hang out for about 20 minutes after craft dinner time, Right? We, we laugh. I'm admitting my faults, my sin, but, but nobody else in here ever did that, right? Nobody else showed favor that way to someone else like that. Right? God says, be careful. It discerns and perverts the words of righteousness. It takes you away. Be careful, he says. It's a good word. Verse 9, and we'll close here tonight. Also, you shall not oppress a stranger. For you know the heart of a stranger because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Again, this is a passage that I love to bring to you as a prohibition against slavery. When people say to me, well, did the Bible teach? We talked about this already last week. But the Bible, well, the Bible taught slavery. No, no, you didn't read. Clearly, it talked about servants and servitude. And that was in regards to a debt, if you had to pay it, they didn't have a bankruptcy court. You know, where you would go and you, you could get out that way if you needed the help. But this is specifically talking about a stranger or a foreigner. And it says, for you know the heart of a stranger, because what were the Hebrews? Were they not a stranger in the land of the Egyptians? As they were going into the land of Goshen, remember that they were given this choice land? Were they, were, were they treated equitably in all ways? Absolutely not. Did Pharaoh not whip them and beat them like that? And his people? He says, you know, this is a direct prohibition against any type of slavery, foreigners, or hate. But I'll take it a step further because I believe this is what the Lord was showing me. 
This is a prohibition against treating unbelievers with contempt. Why do I say that? Because many of us today, we look at an unbeliever, and there sometimes can be a, a, you know, a contempt for them. Maybe they're over dinner, or maybe they're a family member, and they mock you or they ridicule, ridicule you because of the namesake of Jesus Christ. And you look at them and say they're different, right? They're the stranger in the foreign land. You're at home this time. So they're in your house. They're in your domicile. You feel like you have a little muscle to flex, so to speak. You're at my dinner table, right? What do we do? We put them in a place of honor. That's what God's words teaches, doesn't it? We put them in a place of honor. And even in their discontentment with us, we kill them with love. We kill them with mercy and grace. The Bible actually says that uh, Jesus, what? That we would heap coals upon their head by doing the exact opposite of what the world teaches. The exact opposite of what the flesh wants to do. That's why he told us not lean on our own understanding. We'll almost always get it wrong. But if we lean on God, we'll always get it right.